Welcome to Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam, a podcast about navigating adolescence without losing our minds. Each week, I guide you around the teenage landmines with practical tips, simple solutions, and words of encouragement. I'm your host, Dr. Cam. Let's get on with the show. Welcome, parents. Over the past decade, there has been a noticeable increase in the number of teenagers coming out as transgender. To skeptical parents, this is often perceived as a concerning trend fueled by social media and easily influenced teenage brains. To gender identity experts, it is attributed to increased awareness and understanding of gender diversity and the growing platforms that enable teens to find resources, support, and connections with others who have similar experiences. Regardless of what you believe, if your teen is questioning their identity, how you respond as a parent can have an enormous impact on their long-term mental health and their well-being. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Ronnie Gladden, an international speaker, actor, and tenured college professor who speaks regularly about identity, diversity, and inclusion for K-12 schools, universities, and nonprofits. They are also the author of White Girl Within, Letters of Self-Discovery Between a Transgender and Transracial Black Man and His Inner Female. Dr. Ronnie is going to help us navigate some of the complexities of gender identity and provide guidance on how to best support teens who identify as transgender. Welcome, Dr. Ronnie. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So let's just start with a backstory, because I know you've got an amazing story. What led you to today where you are an advocate for children of all identities? As a child myself, I recognized that what I saw in the mirror did not match back with my imagination. It did Mm. not match back with my internal voice. It didn't match back with my internal standard. And I found that to be interesting. And I was just four years old. So a lot of us are walking contradictions. So I'm not unique in that way. Many of us are. That's why there's the whole notion of Jung's shadow theory and doing shadow work to integrate what is otherwise repressed, suppressed, and oppressed within us. But for me, you know, the walking contradiction is pretty well amplified, you know, the opposite of everything. So feeling as if I align more so with white females as opposed to black male identity. And I think perhaps a part of that could have been from some turbulence that was in the household. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I did have a handy handed father Mm -hmm. that was aggressive with myself. He was aggressive with my mother. So that certainly created some angst. And there were some other things culturally that were there. But in spite of processing that through counseling, through a lot of college degrees, through a lot of professional work. This is still with me all of these decades later. So what was there at four is still here with me now today as a tenured college professor. So this is more than just an imaginary friend or something that's just like a phase. You know, this is insistent, consistent, persistent, authentic. And so that just leads me to think that that is true for other for other people, especially young people of today. I still recognize that it's rare, 
that this is rare, but there's a, a light that shined on this and more people that perhaps otherwise would have remained silenced are now coming out. So it seems like that there is more of a people that are declaring that they are trans or what have you. But um, yeah, it, it is a real it is a real thing for, for probably the minority of us, but it is real. So I, I would love to dig into this a little bit because you know, I have a lot of clients. I know a lot of people that are questioning their, their gender, gender identity. Um, and a lot of times the adults and parents in their lives are saying, this is a phase. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, you'll get through it. I'm not going to, I'm not accepting it because I know you're going to get through this. And if I don't accept it, eventually you'll just get over it. Right. I see a lot of this. Um, what do you say to these parents whose kids are very vocally questioning their gender during a time where many of us see it as you don't know any better yet? Yeah, I love the question. I think that you have to be careful about superimposing your viewpoint onto someone else. Mm. You know, we're all sentient beings. And I say this with all due respect to the parents, you're not raising kids, you're really raising adults. You are yeah. raising people that are going to become, you know, full-fledged folks in their own majority with their own complex identities and minds. And going back to what we were saying before about holding on to traditions and expectations, we have to be careful not to be too rigid in that manner. That said, it is true that the data that I've seen does say that many kids will desist so if they believe that they are transgender, for example, most by a certain point as they move into the tween ages will desist and will find a kind of balance in their assigned gender. Mm -hmm. That is true based on the statistics. At the same time though, if you are seeing something that seems insistent, consistent, persistent with kids, um, where they really are showing signs of being dysphoric, why not explore that? That doesn't mean you have to go on puberty blockers for them or that you have to, you know, get them on the waiting list for uh, gender affirming surgery. It can mean let's process this through counseling. Let's yeah. process this with the teachers. Let's consider some sort of a treatment plan, some sort of, if there's an IEP that's needed, Let's look and see if there may be something else that could lie beneath the surface, such as neurodivergence, because sometimes that's a part of it. You know, that's where you have people that can learn different ways other than the norm. You know, there are multiple intelligences that Howard Gardner has spoken of. I'm sure you've mm -hmm. heard of those. Oh, and, yeah. and we need to be able to factor that in. So effectively, what I'm saying is why not look to see how you can investigate this, investigate underlying root causes. I mentioned before my own story that there is a history of domestic violence, that there is, and I didn't add, history of, of bullying, that there is, you know, other sorts of idiosyncrasies I've worked to, to contextualize. And in a similar way, I think that parents could do that with their kids too. And for a small cohort, you are going to see that in spite of all of that processing, yes, this is someone that is, you know, with gender dysphoria, and therefore you would absolutely want to help them to, to work with that in an age-appropriate way and in a way 
that is investigating all of the options. Dr. Ernie, I love the way that you're addressing this because it is a very practical, let's just not like let it just don't question it at all, right? Which I think some people are just like, just let it be. And I think this is where people are struggling. It's a let's take it seriously. This yeah. is a lot. I mean, teenagers, teenagers and adults too, we're always exploring who we are. We're always exactly. trying to figure that out. I think what we're seeing now is when we were growing up, um, sorry, I'm putting you in my generation, but when we were growing up, that wasn't an option. It wasn't something that you even considered. So people probably just didn't know, didn't understand what was going on. Now they can go, this is an option. Let me figure out if that explains what's going on inside. If that explains some of the inconsistencies, it may or may not. But if we don't give them the space to explore it, they'll never know. Yeah, and that would be what a shame to not to begin to investigate more about your child's gender identity when there are all of these resources, when there are esteemed mm -hmm. professionals, uh, people that are in various gender clinics, there are lots of workshops, there are lots of programs that exist. So there's literature that, that's there that, that you can read. There are even just great places, YouTube, uh, episodes you can watch there are podcasts like this one like you can be overwhelmed and inundated with all of the support options that are there there are support groups on facebook etc like uh, there's p flag for instance i'm sure you know of that one and that's you know around the country lots of chapters there there's listen there's the trevor project there's so many so yeah it would seem like you would at least want to to begin to investigate and just to research there's no harm in that yeah, I, I, I kind of want to address too, because a lot of parents, you know, we want our kids to have the easiest path possible. We just do, right? And so when parents see their kids leaning towards this or questioning their gender, questioning their sexuality, any of that, they're like, I don't want you to do that because that's going to create a harder path for you. Sure. And what I end up seeing is a lot of parents kind of denying it or pulling him back or trying to change it. And I, I, I kind of have a belief of this, but I want to get from you, Ronnie, Dr. Ronnie, how do you perceive that? And how can parents best support their kids as they're going through this questioning, particularly when they're coming from the mindset of, I don't want this for my kid because I feel like it's going to create more hardship. Yeah. And that's an excellent question as well, too. I almost think that if it weren't the issue of gender being difficult to navigate with or their sexuality or what have you, then it would be something else. Something else would be a challenge for that child. And, I, and I, while I'm not a parent, I can appreciate that parents may want to not have their kids make the same mistakes that they did or to at least to create a, a straighter path towards success, stability, predictability, and that's all worthwhile. But there is that thing of the notion of being a helicopter parent mm -hmm. as well, too. Like, like there are limitations in terms of what you can do to insulate, and you may unintentionally do more harm by creating silos, by creating a kind of artificial environment where maybe you have 
overly stage managed the life of the child in such a way that you you over deliver safeguards that you stunt that child in a way that then it's more difficult for them to have the kinds of coping mechanisms that they'll need when they are confronted with other kinds of challenges. It's a sort of resistance. I've seen studies that look at Gen Z having a really difficult time with navigating the land of work. Mm-hmm. They're having a lot of time. And mm-hmm. I've seen by thousands, at one survey, it, it, it surveyed thousands of managers that say that they have had to let Gen Z individuals go or to reprimand them at work because there seems to be this kind of militant apathy with them or not fully engaging or not having some of the soft skills to that are necessary to nurture certain kinds of rapport and relationships that's there. Well, we just had a pandemic. So what's ended up happening? You've had people kind of in this artificial environment where otherwise they would have interacted with people face-to-face and would have had varying abilities to discern between nonverbal cues and what should you say and shouldn't say in the workplace, but you haven't had that. Everything has been limited to a screen, to the two-dimensional, to the digital. And I kind of see that playing out with, well, you know, you you want things to be easier for your child. Well, well, sure, but you you wouldn't want to create, create unnecessary challenges, but you have the reality of the world being where it is. And maybe the strategy is to focus on adaptability skills, coping skills, as opposed to, well, let me insulate you to make it easier only then to trade off and end up creating a whole other problem where there it's harder to to adult or to or to be independent in a in an environment. Yeah, I, I see that across the board with a lot of different things. And I think it's very hard because as parents, we want to protect our kids, but we do it at the sacrifice of them learning to take care of and protect themselves. Yeah. Right. So I, I think this is it's very interesting that you're pulling all this together because I I love that this is all related, right? This is not this like off the wall, strange thing way over here. This is part of the whole <laughs> spectrum of everything they're going through, right? Um, exactly. The other thing I, I see too, and I'm curious that, of your perspective of this is when we as parents, in our attempt to make sure that they don't go a route, and again, I see this in a lot of different ways, well, in a lot of different realms, when we want to prevent them from going a route that might make their life more difficult or make them more of a target of bullying, we end up being the very ones that are perceived as the bully or not accepting them because we're telling them they're not okay as they actually are, rather than saying, we're going to accept you as you are. We're going to be your support and we're going to be your foundation because life might be harder for you. We're not going to be the ones that make it harder for you though. And I think parents often, we, we mess that up a little bit. What do you, what do you think to that? Yeah, well, it's funny how that works. I think that ties back into the the walking contradictions that we were discussing before, too. It's like, yeah, you could very well be perpetuating bullying or other kinds of uh, systemic discrimination by saying, oh, there's something that's wrong here, so you have to change. Well, you, you can reverse that around and ultimately work to create the environment that 
is supportive. You know, yeah. there's a lot of angst that I had growing up that I spoke about, but through the angst has come artistry, you know, through the mm. angst has come academic pursuits and accomplishments through the angst has come greater authenticity so it's like having been crushed yeah I mean there were certain things that were rather difficult and still are but rather than collapsing under the weight of the angst of the adversity you know of adversarial people I found a way to as Malcolm X said to attack my ignorance and find a way to posit it in places where it becomes literature, like you mentioned the yeah. book, White Girl Within, you know, where it can become, you are now a, a tenured professor or what have you. So you could very well have in your own children, you know, parents, whatever is that problem, whatever is that adversity that's inside of your child's life, there could be a strategy in that, that may just as well translate into some sort of advocacy or translate into some sort of major accomplishment that can happen through that. Uh, and there's lots of legal mechanics to go through and it's needed because there's all this legislation now that's, that's anti-trans. But you know what, what we don't hear about as often is there are some sanctuary cities as mm. well too. Like, mm -hmm. you know, Kansas City, Missouri, is now a sanctuary city for LGBTQ+. Mm. I believe Minnesota is a sanctuary state. So you wow. have that. We know that California, of course, is also a sanctuary state. And probably some of the other Western states, if they haven't fully declared that they're sanctuary, they are at least friendly and have the, the kinds of infrastructure that's, that's there. That's a way to, to, to tap into that yeah. to help to better understand or explore your child's true uh, identity and their authenticity to see if it's if it's if it's there if it isn't well then at the very least you may then be inclined to be an ally and you are that much more steeped in understanding mm -hmm. and compassion that can extrapolate not just to lgbtq plus people but to the dignity and worth of human beings and respecting human diversity across but to to put a fine point on it yes look, look at the angst and see how you can flip it and leverage that because there's very likely something to come out of that on the other side that can be rather significant. Yeah, I, I think just to like kind of simplify that too a little bit from what I'm hearing is you don't have a choice who your child is. You can't, you don't, you don't make your child who they are. You have right. your child to raise who they are. When we try to push them to be what we want them to be or think they should be, we are preventing them from being who they're supposed to be. Oh yeah. And 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 we're we're stunting them and what they're meant to be here. And I think that is the thing that we keep missing. We're trying so hard to make them what we think they should be. We're denying them of who they are. Yeah, for sure. And I would have to imagine as a parent that you still have your own internal standard you still have your own moral compass you have your own values that may include your faith yeah and and so then you have to respect that and so th these are things that aren't going to be solved overnight so you have to try to work with that but this can be i think really good for people that are thinking about becoming 
parents, yeah. you know, even before that is to really think, you know, are you prepared to perhaps birth a child, sire a child into reality? And they could be the exact opposite of what you envision, or they can do something that you wouldn't expect. What if your child is smarter than you? You know, what yeah. if your child is a genius? You know, what if your child is more accomplished? You know, could you handle being known as so-and-so's parent? Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, so these are some things to think about uh, b- before you, you parent. But for those who are parents, it's like, yeah, that this is a lot to, to process. But, you know, I think that there's, if they're listening to this, then they are certainly interested in wanting to have strategies. Yeah. Yeah. My list, the, the listeners are pretty awesome here. They're definitely like open to all of that. Right. Um, yeah. Can we dig into something a little controversial that I think people are really struggling with is, and you had just mentioned it earlier, which is why I'm kind of going there is, you know, this gender affirming treatments, um, when there's so many laws being put down, there's so much controversy about this. What are the right ages? I'm just curious for somebody who is experiencing and is is internalizing this. What are your thoughts about how parents can support their teenagers who may be asking to go through some of these gender affirming treatments? I think... And this may sound a little contradictory mm-hmm. to what I said before, but really, I don't think it is. I think it, it's useful for the parent as well as the child to know both sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to gender affirming, the notion is probably the outcome. You want the gender euphoria. You want to have the uh, the congruity instead of being misaligned. And, and I get that. And you can see some really great YouTube vids mm. and you see the before and you see the after and it can be amazing, mm. right? But then the, the risk with that is you, you've reduced something very complex to a binary. You've reduced something mm. that's very complex almost to a sales pitch kind of in the way that it's been said about PowerPoint. PowerPoint is is awesome, but I've heard that PowerPoint is evil because it reduces everything to a sales pitch, you know, just yeah, yeah, yeah. Structures it, you know, and so you can almost, if you're not careful, be sold on something from this Mm -hmm. to that, you know, and it's this binary. So when I say the other side, I'm saying, you should know what you're in for in terms of the risks, in terms of being sterilized. You should understand that there are complications with surgeries that could be lifelong. The dependence that's required with respect to being on HRT and knowing that that is for life. Um, There are reports that I've seen that show uh, with estrogen, for example, that there's a risk of blood clotting. Mm-hmm. There's a risk of other sorts of cardiovascular issues. So while you may very well be able to do some amazing things with the therapies and the interventions that are there, you have to understand that it is serious business and that it needs to be investigated on a case-by-case basis. What, it, what, what are your lipids? You know, 
what what what's your what range of hormones are are you in right now what's your and this may sound a little bit much for someone that's young but given the obesity rates and uh, younger individuals even having uh, what have been known as middle age and adult diseases you know what is it are you predisposed to being uh, pre-diabetic or diabetic or you know mm-hmm. what's your cholesterol like there's so much that needs to be looked at, like screening and panels and yeah. the sort. And what's the family history around X, Y, and Z? You know, um, are you okay with potentially losing your hair if mm-hmm. you are on testosterone? Yeah. And that being an issue uh, to where once that damage is done, it's almost very hard to reverse it. Are, are, you, are you okay with these kinds of things? So and hearing the stories of those with regret mm. as well, I think is mm. also that. Because the notion is, even though this may sound like, oh, this goes against what you said before about wanting to embrace. No, what I'm saying is, if you still, after all of that, and you've gone through everything, mm-hmm. have heard that, and, and it still does not deter you, then you may be on to something. You right. may be on to something, and that might help to legitimate all the more about what you would want to do. So to simplify it, I would say know what you are in for. And even with that, to still take your time to reflect. In the book that I have, I have a Venn diagram identity wheel to process mm. that. I have mm-hmm. I have scores of questions through different lenses to reflect on. I have a number of resources, books. I think a lot of that should be done so that you can have the vocabulary to work on this and not just about wanting to look good. Also too, are you okay with being an older representation of a trans person? You know, for someone that wants to become the stud or the Chad, you know, uh, that's one thing. And that could probably be pretty easy, right? Or for someone that's, uh, you know, AMAB or AFAB, you're male to female, to be the young ingenue, that's going to be pretty attractive. A lot of folks are going to want to do that. But can you see yourself also as a middle-aged trans woman? Can you see yourself as an elder trans woman? Can you see yourself as a middle-aged balding man that's trans? Can you see yourself as an elder man? Like, Like, can you see yourself through all the phases and the stages, not just in the prime of it, you know, but the full cycle of things. So that's, that's what I would offer is know what you are in for and, and, and look at the risks and see if the risks, you know, are less or greater than the rewards, you know, look at it. I'm going to say, and this is, this is a little um, tongue in cheek, but I don't think any of us want the, to be that middle-aged woman or balding man. (laughs) Look at JLo looking great in her fifties. Yeah. You look at Marcus. We, we want to be that. <laughs> Martha Stewart, 80 plus, yeah. you know, on, on that swimsuit cover. Right. I mean, so we've got some folks that are that are showing people, yeah, you you, you can do the darn thing. That helps yeah. to be worth a couple hundred million dollars too. But that, <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah, have to have a, a, an LGBTQ plus finance podcast. Right. You can call That's me right. back for that. But I, I, you know, going back to what you said, I think is so important because this is not a 
all of a sudden one surgery, super easy. Now everything is fixed and you feel in sync with who you are. It's not that simple because, and you just said too, you're, you're turning this, what we're realizing is that gender is this big spectrum, right? And so a lot of people are going, I don't fit in this. And I feel like part of this is we've created such small little buckets of what it means to be a female or a male. And I don't think many of us fit in those categories. And now we're saying there's a much wider version. And by doing some of these surgeries, you're basically trying to put yourself from one little bucket to another little bucket, rather than saying, where in this big spectrum do I fall? And what does that look like? And so giving kids that opportunity to explore that. Yeah, I like what you said, because there's, uh, I think her name is Alexa. Uh, She's very well known in Sweden. Mm-hmm. And she's, you may know who I'm referring to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the last name is like this long. So I, I don't have that committed to memory. But <laughs> right. based on what I saw, she's in her late 30s now. Yeah. And she transitioned at 18. She's not full out saying that she has regrets, mm. but she did concede that if she could do it all over again, she's not certain that she would have transitioned as quickly because she did it right Mm. at 18 and that's you know even at the the legal age and she one of the things she said was well perhaps I could have been a feminine male yeah that just did certain things you know and this is not to discount anyone's gender dysphoria at all I'm not saying to to just to discount, no, I'm, I'm just saying to explore it. And if your truth is that you're trans and you want to explore gender affirming care, you know, wh- when that time is appropriate, you know, then that's something to look into. But that is interesting to your point, as it states about that, that spectrum, because there are women that certainly are, are more masculine in orientation, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they need to be on HRT. And, and I think that we're, trying to break past that binary like I was speaking to and really looking at that that range. And, and I'm hoping that more of that can happen. Yeah, and I think it's a great place for parents to come into as well because it's not a no, right? Because I think when we just throw that no out there, that's just gonna make kids even more determined to do it, right? Because they're like, but you're not listening exactly. to me. It's more of a, let us let us explore this together. Let's figure out what's the next step. Let's do this first and see where you're comfortable and build up to that. So it's not a no, it's a building up to, which I think is really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause that, that's, that's significant. And we're, we're human. We should be allowed to look in, to see what can we do to live our best, our best lives and and explore with that. That's a part of what makes life worth living. Right. Exactly. And just finding, (laughs) I think what's so great and what I do love about the younger generation is I feel like they're far more open than older generations of just accepting people for who they are without the necessary buckets. Um, Even though they love, we all need labels. We all feel more comfortable with labels. And I think that's where they're at is trying to find what label they fit into, but kind of letting go of some of those labels, but also accepting more of them. Um, yeah, and I think that's them. amazing. Yeah, accept them or you create a new one. You and create your own. Isn't that you, great? 
Yeah, you educate people on, yeah. on what it is. Yeah. yeah, I think it's amazing. So Dr. Ronnie, what is something that you want to make sure that parents that have teenagers, particularly ones that are questioning their gender or just questioning their identity in general, what do you want them to walk away with? I want them to walk away with, number one, it's excellent to begin a dialogue to explore all of the options. Mm -hmm. Number two, it's a good idea to invest a time commitment in understanding that this is going to likely require a lot of time yeah. in contextualizing on both sides. And number three, pairing up with resources so that you can understand the full side, positive and negative, of what this journey, gender journey, mm -hmm. human journey can mean. So, so exploration, time, resources, ETR. That's amazing. That's great. That's so useful. And that applies to pretty much everything that they're doing, yeah. you know, interacting right. with their kids, and, 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 all of it. So Dr. Ronnie, how can people find you? You want to find me, RonnieGladden.com. And I'd love to go and speak at your school mm. or at your college or your nonprofit. You want to check out the book, WhiteGirlWithin.com. We're all the opposite of everything. We're all walking contradictions. Yeah. And I think the book helps us with that. And you can check me out at, at Dr. Ronnie Speaks on TikTok or Twitter. Facebook, or Instagram. All of them. And we will put all the links in the show notes so you can find it. This Excellent. is great. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really, really thrilled to have you talk to us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for your time. Of course. And thank you, parents, for taking time out of your busy day to spend with us. I really appreciate you too. If you want more information on how to best support your teens, check out my top 10 pro parenting tips, drcam.com slash parenting tips. Until next time, stay curious. Remember, there's always more to the story than what you see. And we're done. Oh, that was so good. You're so, how long have you done this? This seems like you're this so, such a pro. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today on Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam. Make sure to visit my website, www.askdrcam.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show again. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, and hey, why not share it with a friend too? Be sure to tune in to my next episode. And remember, parenting teens may not be easy, but with my help, it can be a whole lot easier than this.